word of God. Let us turn to the book of Romans chapter 7, verses 9, 10, and 11. Romans chapter 7, verses 9, 10, and 11. The Bible says, For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. With the help of the Lord, I'll share a message with the title, The Gospel in the Coat of Law. The Gospel in the Coat of Law. Amen. You will understand as I progress the reason for the title, but I want to just let you know that wherever the gospel is, sooner or later, it must come before a court of law. Because we were the ones who were supposed to be brought before God's court of law. God must judge the sin that is in us. But instead of us appearing before a court of law to be sentenced, arrested, indicted, sentenced, the gospel has appeared for us. Jesus appeared for us. Can we say amen? Can we say thank Jesus? When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, remember, we will be acquitted because the gospel has already appeared in a court of law. Praise God. <laughs> you'll, you'll understand soon. You see, in the beginning, Adam and Eve did not have the law of God because they did not know sin. They, they, there was no sin. Where there is no sin, there is no law. Are you with me? Have you thought about it? When God made Adam and Eve, he did not give them a Bible. He didn't tell them, meditate on this book day and night. He did not say, here are my ten commandments. Here are my five commandments. They had no commandment. Only one command. Very simple command. Do you see that tree? Yeah? Don't touch that tree. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. You don't need a book for that. Amen? You don't need to go to church for that one command. <laughs> Praise God. Just one command. Praise God. When they sinned, however, then humans had to live by the law of God. Where there is sin, there is a law. Where there is no sin, there is no law. So in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, there was no law in the sense that 
They had to read a law every day. They had to observe it. They had to remind each other. There were no ceremonies. There were no feasts of tabernacles. There were no new moons. None of these things. There was no food which they had to avoid. They could eat whatever. Basically, God gave them all the, the, the herbs and the, the fruit, etc. Yeah? So, it was a totally different world. But then sin came into the picture. And because of sin, God had to write the law with his own finger. Praise God. We do not live by a book written by human beings. It may be written by Peter, James, and John. But be assured that the finger of Jesus wrote with fire upon their hearts. Praise God. The word of God we have is given to us by our God. We do not look upon it as the word of human beings. We see the Bible as the finger of God, written with fire upon the hearts of the people of God. Can we say amen? Let us respect the Bible. Let us bless the word of God. Let us kiss the word of God. Let us determine to obey every word of God. Amen. Do not argue with the word of God. Do not question the word of God. And worst of all, do not change the word of God. It's very important that we receive the word of God. Our job is to just bring it down from the mountain to the people of God like Moses. Our job is not to argue with God about what he wrote there. We committed sin. Now, God has to write his law to us and tell us how to avoid further infuriating him. Thank God for his word. When God gives us his word, it means there is hope. It means we are not marked for his destruction. God have mercy. There was no word of God in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why it was destroyed. God have mercy. There was no word of God among the people in the days of Noah. That's why they were destroyed. And I'm telling you in this world we live today. Where they act like God has never given his word. There will be destruction. But thank God we're a people who have received the word of God. Say I've received the word of God. Are, you a person, are we a people without the word of God? No. We have the word of God. That is why God judged Israel in the days of Josiah. Because these were people who had received the word of God. But they lost it. That's why Josiah tore his clothes. Please look at your Bible. Please tell yourself, I have the word of God. Tell your family, we have the word of God. We are not a people without the word of God. We are not a people who do not know the word of God. We know his word. We take it seriously. So, God gave the law to his people. The law of God represents the righteousness and holiness of God. Can we say the righteousness and the holiness of God? 
When you look at your Bible, you should be reminded. It is a witness of the righteousness and the holiness of God. When you look at the news, you look at uh, what's happening in your cities and towns. Those are witnesses of the works of unrighteousness and sin. But when you look at your word, the word of God, it is a witness of the righteousness and the holiness of God. As long as the Bible exists on this earth, it is a witness of the righteousness and the holiness of God. And that is why no dictator has been able to dis destroy and eliminate the word of God. Because as, as surely as God lives in heaven and God lives on the earth, his word will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Every dictator will pass away. Every crooked system will pass away. But the word of God will live forever. Can we say amen, praise him? This is a proof of the existence of God. Because no one has been able to get rid of his word. No one. And they never will be. Humans will disappear, but the word of God will continue to persevere. Praise God. Amen. 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 I'm lifting up the word of God. Can we lift up the word of God? In the book of Psalms 138 verse 2, the Bible says, God has lifted up his word. Amen. Exalted his word above all his name. He exalted his word above all his name. But let me tell you one thing about the word of God. You see, the law of God represents his righteousness and his holiness. And just as the laws of a country cannot be changed to accommodate any individual or group, the law of God does not change for anyone. Can you change the law of your country? Will it accommodate you for some reason? Will it accommodate me for some reason? Never. That's why we say the law is blind. That's why we even depict the law as a woman blindfolded carrying scales. The law is blind. It's equal for everyone. The law is not anybody's friend. The law shows no mercy. The law said an eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. Even if it is your last tooth. It doesn't matter. I have one tooth left. No. Give that tooth. This is the problem with the law. This law which is blind. Is exacting. It is merciless. It was this law. Which was given on Mount Sinai to Moses. In other words. God is trying to tell us. That his standards of holiness and righteousness are so pure, so high and exalted that it will strike terror into our hearts. None of us can keep all the commandments of God. Let's turn to the book of Exodus chapter 19 verse 18. The book of Exodus chapter 19 verse 18 the book of Exodus chapter 19 verse 18. The Bible says, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. 
Faizga. Faizga. With the law of God came lawyers. There came trials. There came judgments. There came fear. Have you ever been to a court of law? Have you been summoned to a court of law? I don't think you went with joy. I don't think you said, oh, what a blessed day. What a wonderful day. I look forward to seeing the lawyer and the judges. I love courts. That, that would be abnormal. You see, where there is a danger of judgment, of losing one's freedom, there is a certain trepidation, a certain fear, a certain consternation, a certain quaking at the thought that this may be the last few moments that I have to be a free person. I may never come out a free person. Going where I want to go. Eating what I want to eat. Waking up when I went to want to wake up. Sleeping when I want to sleep. Visiting who I want to visit. Let me tell you, going to Mount Sinai is like going to a court of law. It should be a terrible experience. God never intended for that meeting, that encounter at Mount Sinai to be a pleasant one. Why? Because God was making it clear that we were so far apart from his holiness, his righteousness. The, the chasm is insurmountable. We are far apart from the righteousness of God. There is really no hope to try to keep any of his law, his righteousness. But we still have to go to Mount Sinai. We still have to go to the court of law. Because the worst thing we can do is try to escape. Try to run away. How can you run away from the laws of God? From the command of God? The long arm of the law will always find us. It is better to make peace with the law. It is better to make peace with the God of the law. We need a lawyer. Stay with me. I need, a, I need an advocate with the Father. Let me tell you what his name is. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Do you know that the judge can never see anybody? You only meet him on the day of judgment. But the lawyer, you can call the lawyer every day. When you feel nervous, you call the lawyer. My solicitor, my advocate, tell me. I have some questions. There was a man in the days of Moses who was in the habit of gathering sticks every day. Let us turn to the book of Numbers chapter 15 and verse 33. And this man's habit cost him his life. Because he made a mistake. He continued with his habit of gathering sticks even on the Sabbath. He did not take seriously the law that came on Mount Sinai a few days prior. Do you know what happened? In Numbers 15 verse 33, the Bible says, And they that found him gathering sticks, brought him 
unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. Sadly, this habit led to his death because the law showed no favor, no mercy. Can you imagine dying, losing your life because you gathered sticks on the Sabbath? Why did you die? Because I, I decided to go out and gather sticks. You died for sticks. That's what the law of God said. The law showed no mercy. The law was not anybody's friend. It is not our friend today. Even today. Please understand what I'm saying. Because unless we understand what the law is. We will never run to Jesus. We need to know what the law is. We need to fear the law. Because the law of God is perfect. It is like silver tried seven times in the fire. There is nothing more purer in the whole universe than the law of God. Hallelujah. And we are all guilty of offending against this law of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are all guilty. And the law is blind. And the law is merciless. And the law is exacting. And the law will come for us as it's coming for everybody on this earth. Praise God. Praise God. The Bible says in Numbers 15 and verse 36, And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. You see, a man gathering sticks, brothers and sisters. Today, if I were to ask you, what kind of sins have we committed against the law of God? Surely our sins are more grievous than gathering sticks. Surely our sins are more grievous, hallelujah, than all these seemingly uh, small sins that these people committed. The man was not a bad man today some people will say well he, he's not a bad man no maybe he was a very good man because he's gathering sticks so he maybe you know wants to make some I don't know he wants to cook something for his family why would you gather sticks maybe he wants to keep his family warm at night but he died because he did not respect the law of God I hope you're beginning to understand why we all must run to Jesus. I hope we understand why if we reject the salvation of our God, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the God who will judge them by the law. Why do we need to bring people to the gospel and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because the alternative is to be judged by the law of God. And the law of God is brutal. It is merciless. Ask the Jews. How many people died because they took the law of God lightly in the days of Moses? How many people? Like we can't even begin to count. 
the most dangerous killer in Israel was not the Philistines. It was not the Ammonites or Amorites or Amalekites. It was the law of God. So you, we have to talk about the law. It frightens you, you may say, good. We shouldn't joke with the law. So we know this man died. Now, because of these things, a man who understood the law better than most people wrote to us in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. A man who was a rabbi. His name was Saul of Tarsus or Paul. You know what he called the law? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, he said, But if the ministration of death, how about that? He called the law the ministry of death, written and engraven and stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Understand, the law was intended to show us that we are hopeless. We cannot even keep one of the commands of God. Because if you break one, you are guilty of all. I'll show you that scripture. So anyone who thinks that they can have any hope in the law is deceived. The law had one purpose. The law's purpose was to convince people that we cannot measure up to the holy standards of God. We are supposed to see that something is wrong with us. What is wrong with us? We tell people sometimes, what is wrong with you? No, say what is wrong with me? Say what is wrong with all of us? It is called sin. A three-letter word that is more devastating than all nuclear bombs put together. That's the problem. Where do we get it from? We inherited it from Adam and Eve. That's where we got it from. It is working in all of us. We don't have to do anything. Just be born to inherit it. So we have to understand what is this knowledge of salvation? What does it begin with? To understand we are lost. We're in trouble with God. Can somebody say we're in trouble with God? The world is in serious trouble with God. Because we are sinners. Because we break the law of God. Can you live in a country and break the law of your country and think you can escape? At some point, you have to reckon with the law. So, I had to spend some time on this. Because sometimes even we Christians, we take this lightly. We just talk about the grace of Jesus. Or that's good. But first, 1,500 years, the people of God did not know the meaning of grace. They did not know anything except the brutal and merciless law of God. 
And we Christians need to pay attention to the law and what the law was and what it did. So once we have understood the seriousness of the law, we must next understand that the law desperately points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody say desperately. Desperately. If you spend some time with the law, you, you will realize the law is becoming desperate. The law is beginning to talk about somebody else. The law is saying it's good you came to me on Mount Sinai. But I'm telling you, I'm pointing you to Jerusalem, to Golgotha. From here, you came from slavery in Egypt, from Goshen. Now you've come here. But I am just going to only, I cannot save you. I will point you to Jerusalem, to Golgotha. Hallelujah. The law is desperately pointing us to Golgotha. Hallelujah. We cannot die in the desert. We have to make it to Golgotha. Because the law is shouting. Amen. Do you hear what the law is saying? Amen. The law is shouting about Jesus. Why do I say it? How many times did Jesus open the law from Moses? And he was shouting. He's basically trying to show people. Here, this is what the law is saying about me. Amen. Why don't you listen? Praise God. People are blinded. People are blinded. So the things concerning him. Jesus was busy trying to show people what Moses said about him. What the law was shouting about him, praise God. Hallelujah. Have you heard the law? Amen. Have we understood the things concerning Jesus? Praise God. Hallelujah. But if we believe not Moses, how shall we believe Jesus? The law is shouting, brothers and sisters. The law is saying, run to Jesus. Save yourselves. Amen. I'm here just to show you. That you are sold under sin. The law cannot save you. The law is trying to make you understand. Your need for a savior. Praise God. And that savior is Jesus. So for 1500 years. The law arrested people. Tried people. Condemned people. Killed people. No one was able to keep the entire law. There was always two or three or one or whatever commandments broken. And to break one is to be guilty of all the law. James chapter 2 verse 10. Let us turn to James chapter 2 verse 10. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. Say one point. He is guilty of all. God have mercy. So the law said, follow me, obey me, keep all my commands. The Jews today will tell you there are 613 laws. All the best trying to keep all of them. At some point, you will break one and then you are guilty of all. And the law is blind, the law is merciless. But one day, somebody say one day, one day. When the fullness of time came, praise God, blessed day, the word was made flesh. 
Somebody say the word was made flesh. One day. What is the mercy of God? Not that the word came down as the law and was written upon tablets of stone. The mercy, the response, the answer of God's love is the same word came and was made flesh. This is the mercy of God. People say God is merciful, yes, but how? Say the word was made flesh. Hallelujah. This is the mercy of God. The word was made flesh. The law was born on Mount Sinai with fear and trembling. But the word was made flesh in Bethlehem in love and peace and mercy. Do you see that? Can you compare Mount Sinai with Bethlehem? Yes, let us compare them. When the law was given for the first time, it came with fear, with trembling. But when the word was made flesh, there were angels singing. There were shepherds praying. Wise men came with gifts. There is never a more peaceful scene in the Bible than this scene. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God we have come to Bethlehem. Thank God we have left Mount Sinai. Brother, sister, stay at Bethlehem. Don't go back to Mount Sinai. Stay with the mercy of God. Hallelujah. We don't need to climb up a mountain now. We don't need Moses coming down with his face shining and we cannot even look at him. Even shepherds could look at him. Hallelujah. Foreigners could look at him. Moses is not God, but the people could not look at him. But when God was manifested in the flesh, everybody was looking at him. See the mercy of God. See the grace of God at Bethlehem. Hallelujah. We make a big deal out of Moses shining. Nobody could see him. That was the ministry of death, according to Paul. I want to go to Bethlehem. Jesus said, come as you are. These people were not holy people, the shepherds. They were considered the worst sinners in Israel. These foreigners, they were not even circumcised. Have you thought about it? People who are not circumcised could come and see the face of God. Hallelujah. How beautiful is Bethlehem. How beautiful is the word made flesh. How beautiful is the mercy of my God. No earthquake. Even the angels did not put fear upon anybody. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. The mercy of God. Thank God we're at Bethlehem. Stay at Bethlehem. What a contrast between Mount Sinai and Bethlehem. Interestingly, the law rejoiced at the birth of the word made flesh because only he could atone and appease the demands of the law. Do you know who was happiest that day? It's the law. Because the law was pointing to this day. 
the law was pointing to Bethlehem. But thou, O Bethlehem, why will God sing about a place, a town, 500 years before? Ah, oh, hallelujah. I love you, Bethlehem. You beautiful Bethlehem. Praise God. Because this time, the law, the word, the ministration of death is not coming down. The ministration of life is coming down. God sent his word, but we couldn't keep it. But now his word is made flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. He kept the law for us. Can you say with me, he kept the law for me. Praise Jesus. Jesus kept the law for me. He fulfilled the law for me. He is the only perfect person. He did not break one commandment of the law. He fulfilled it. Praise God. The only person in the universe who kept the entire law is Jesus. Because this is his own law. Amen. <laughs> Jesus is the law. Only he could fulfill his own law. Praise so he came for 33 years. He fulfilled his law. Amen. Not only did he fulfill it by living according to 100% of the demands of the law. But he also appeased the law. He atoned for the law. The law was standing there and saying, I need death, blood. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. The law cannot be satisfied except by death. And Jesus satisfied even that. We are completing it. He fulfilled everything. That is why we desperately cling on to Jesus. Without Jesus, I'm in trouble. We are in trouble. I cannot face the law. The law will not accept my blood. That's why the sentence. Do you want to. Do we want to go to a court of law. To face the law. Or is it not better that Jesus went to the court of law. I will talk about it. What do you think. Where do you think Jesus went. Did I not tell you. The gospel in the court of law. Where there is a gospel. It has to appear before the court of law. To take my sentence and your sentence. Praise God. We don't need to go to that court of law. We will only go to be acquitted. On the day of judgment. But there is no trial. Because. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are not going to be. Judged. Test, tested. Over what is, no. No. We are already acquitted. We have eternal life. Praise God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. The Bible says. And all things. Almost all things are by the law. Purged with blood. Without shedding of blood. Is no remission. Without shedding of blood, there is no 
remission. No forgiveness. So for the law to finish its mission, it must somehow accuse Jesus. It must arrest Jesus. It must condemn Jesus to death. Otherwise, the law will not be able to finish its mission. This was the only way for mercy to enter into the law. Praise God. Remember I said the law never passes away. It must be fulfilled. It's never suspended or eliminated. It must be fulfilled. Jesus sent this. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. Jesus said. For verily I say unto you. Till heaven and earth pass away. Till heaven and earth pass. One jot. Or one tittle. Shall in no wise pass from the law. Till all be fulfilled. Say all be fulfilled. All. It is for this reason. That the law sent the chief priests and Pharisees to arrest Jesus. Why do you think the law sent the chief priests and Pharisees to arrest Jesus? Because they represent the law. They are the right hand of the law. They are the spokespeople of the law. They are the face of the law. So the law sent chief priests and Pharisees to arrest Jesus. Matthew 26, verses 59, verse 59. Matthew 26, verse 59 says, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. Do you see that? The law must find a way to put Jesus to death. Otherwise, the Lord's mission is not fulfilled. And then let us look at the book of Acts, chapter 23, verse 14. The book of Acts, chapter 23, verse 14. The Bible says, And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse. That we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Do you think it's by accident that the law sent the chief priests and elders? They represent the law. The law must arrest Jesus. The law must condemn Jesus. The law must uh, kill Jesus. Otherwise, the law will be forced to keep killing us. Killing everybody, but everybody, no human being will escape the law, the fury of the law. So thank God the law went after one person. And that should be the last death of the law, Jesus. After that, the law said, it is finished. It is finished. Amen. Let us say it is finished through Jesus. The law finished its work through Jesus. Hallelujah. So you see, in the case of the Lord and the Apostle Paul, the law sent chief priests 
Pharisees to arrest the gospel. Ultimately, what are they arresting? They are arresting the gospel. The identity of Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. Thank God for the day the law arrests and condemns the gospel. Because that is the day the curse of the law will be nailed to the cross of Jesus. Ah, hallelujah. The law had to catch Jesus, arrest Jesus, so that we will be free, so that we will not be taken to the court. Amen. As long as the law accuses, arrests, and condemns individuals, there is no escaping. But the moment the law turns its attention to the gospel, we will be delivered. Let us turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. I am praying that this message, somebody will hear it on the internet. Somebody who doesn't understand the meaning of the law, maybe a Jewish person may hear this message and begin to understand why the more they try to appease the law, the more they try to come close to God through the law of Moses, the further they seem to be going from the word of God, from the presence of God. The more they seem to feel the anger of God, the more they can feel the heat of Mount Sinai. I hope you listen to this message. The law was not meant to be an end in itself. The law desperately points you to Golgotha, to Jesus Christ, to the word made flesh. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Oh, hallelujah. Do you know there is a law curse in trying to follow the law? Being made a curse for us. When was he made a curse for us? On the cross, God put our sins upon us. Our guilt upon him. Nobody here who is, who is an apostolic. One God believer. You should not be going around feeling guilty. Something is wrong. The curse has been put on Jesus. When you begin to feel guilty. Just stretch forth your hands. See in your mind's eye. The scapegoat. That is Jesus. Put all your sins upon him. Amen. Lord, you took this sin also. I should not be carrying this sin. It should not be dictating my life. I should not be feeling this. I put my sin upon you. I cast my cares upon you. Amen. You have the right to say this in Jesus. So, I spoke to you now about the law and how the law is implacable. The law is stubborn. It does not compromise. And I spoke to you about the mercy of God. I spoke to you about Sinai. And I contrasted Sinai with Bethlehem. See the grace of God. See the mercy of God. At Bethlehem. What a beautiful. Serene. Peaceful scene. At Bethlehem. Everybody can come to Bethlehem. Amen. 
Some came with gifts, some came with no gifts. Some had high titles, some had zero titles. Everyone is welcome to Bethlehem. Only if you want to worship him. Because this is God who is manifested in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Great, great, somebody say with me, great, is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Oh, hallelujah. Who is this manifested in the flesh? God. What is this flesh? Say the word of God. The word was made flesh. Who is inside him? Say the spirit of God. The father himself. Amen. Praise God. That is why the apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ alone had immortality to Timothy. You know what that means? Amen. Let's look at that scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. 2 Timothy 1 verse 10. When you see that baby in Bethlehem, don't be fooled. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10. But now, no, sorry, 1 Timothy 6.16. Not 2 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 6.16. It says, who alone or who only? Say with me, who only? What does that mean? Who only had immortality. When you see Jesus, he only can, has immortality. In what way? Not in his flesh. In his spirit. Are you with me? He died. What died? God cannot die. It's blasphemy to say God died. The flesh died. The part of the word of God that was made flesh died. But the word of God is still existing. Jesus was speaking the word of God. The, the Roman centurion told Jesus, send your word, it's enough for me. Do you see that there is a word in flesh and there is a word which went to the house of the Roman centurion? Do you see that? We cannot confuse this. There is a word of God made flesh, which is flesh. And at the same time, there is a word of God going from Jesus to heal the Roman centurion's servant. If you got this revelation, say amen. Let's not confuse the word of God. Praise God. Amen. God has billions of words. Come on. One word is running swiftly. Hallelujah. But there is one word which was made flesh. Praise God. You can kill that word made flesh, but you cannot kill the word which went to the house of the Roman centurion. Ah, shout hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. The word of God which was made flesh died. But you cannot say that that is the only word of God. When I'm talking to you now, how many words did I speak to you? But my word is not like Jesus' word, of course. But, firstly, my word cannot become flesh. And secondly, my word does not go to somebody else's house and heal anybody. Only God can do that. 
So, please understand. When you see Jesus, we are speaking about the greatest mystery in the universe. But that mystery is revealed to us. What is that mystery? God said, my word which goes out of my mouth shall not return unto me void. So he sent it, it became flesh in Bethlehem. The spirit of God entered that flesh. God allowed his body to die. Does that mean God dies? Never. Jesus alone has immortality. He said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. What does that mean? That means you can kill his body, his body died, but you can never kill the spirit. And God is a spirit, brothers and sisters. You kill the flesh, but you can never kill God. Did Jesus die? Yes, his flesh died for our sins. But does that mean all of God is dead? Never. The spirit, amen, the spirit, when we say, Immortality. Say with me spirit. By the way, how do you kill a spirit which is in hell and heaven at the same time? What is the weapon that we have? Which nuclear weapon do you use for that? I'm speaking like a, like a man, the apostle Paul said. Foolishly. How do you kill the spirit? That is in, read Psalm 139. God is in hell. He's in heaven. He's everywhere. How do you kill him? You can kill his flesh. His flesh died for us. But he said, in three days, I will raise it up. So yes, his flesh died for us. But the spirit never dies. The flesh died. Praise God. For our sins. Because if the flesh did not die, then we have sins. Then the law will kill us. Thank God he died on the cross. Otherwise, baptism has no meaning. We will destroy all the, all the doctrines of God in the Bible if we don't believe Jesus died. What does it mean? Baptism means to be buried. Buried means death. You died with Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 3. Hallelujah. Because Jesus died, we die with him in the waters of baptism. You can never say I was baptized and that baptism was not death. That is a false gospel. Not from God. The Bible we have says, I, we are buried with Christ. That means he died. And we died with him in baptism. With the, what did we die with? We died with the body of God. With the flesh of God. And we rose up with the flesh of God. Hallelujah. Which part of God died and rose up? Don't say the spirit. And we are not in the same gospel. The spirit of God never died. God is a spirit. John 4, 24. So who died? It's simple. The part of God with which you are baptized. That's what died. Simple. Were you baptized with the spirit of God? Or were you baptized? What did Philip tell the Ethiopian eunuch? The Ethiopian eunuch said, here is water. What is stopping me? Hindering me? You know what he said? If you believe Jesus is the son of God. Ah, that means if you believe that God, the word was made flesh. If you believe Jesus is the son of God and that son aspect of God died for you, you can be baptized because you are going to die with the flesh. 
all aspects of God. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Is this clear? We are not being buried with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was not in the tomb of Joseph. How can you take the Spirit of God, which is in hell, heaven, everywhere, and put it in the tomb of Joseph? His Spirit is everywhere. The part of God which never died is the Spirit. That's why Paul said he has immortality. So which part of Jesus has mortality? Say the flesh. That which was born can die. Amen. That which was born can also die. If you have a birthday, you can also have a day of your funeral. Amen. Unless God decides to take you like Elijah. So, the gospel is very clear. The gospel is very beautiful. The gospel is telling us that the Lord is shouting. The Lord is saying, be circumcised, otherwise I will kill you, Moses. The Lord caught Moses and said, I gave you the law, but you are not obeying me. I'm going to kill you first. See, the law is merciless if you are not baptized in Jesus' name. That's why when people come to Jesus, you repent. And immediately the next question is, into what pen were you baptized? Will you dare to disobey the law of God? Just because Jesus is the mercy of God doesn't mean that you can ignore these three commands. Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost. Oh, you want 613 laws. I think I prefer three laws rather than 613. And even I can't keep all of them. Everybody can keep the three commands of Acts chapter 2 verse 38. The mercy of God is Acts chapter 2 verse 38. But some people say, no, 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 this cannot be. I'm used to having a long list. A long beard, a long list, a long everything. There are some people who do not want God to make salvation easy. They want to crawl on their knees. They want to kiss the ground. They want to fast 40 days. No. All God says is repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I just spoke to you about the vengeance of the law. Will we not run to the waters of baptism? Will we not run to the Apostle Peter? Will we not bow down low and say, I will obey you, Peter. I will obey the apostles. Hallelujah. Because they, Jesus was first in the apostles. Let me repeat that. Jesus was first in the apostles. He selected them. And he first came into them. Hallelujah. They should know. And they know. And they wrote to us. That's why we call ourselves apostolic. One God believers. Amen. Jesus only. Hallelujah. So the gospel is beautiful. But it's so deep and so profound in its beauty and its simplicity. When we look at 1 Timothy, sorry, 1 Timothy 6.16. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. Whom no man hath seen. What? 
Are you serious? How no man has seen? Yes. In his spirit, nobody has seen him. How can you see a spirit with human eyes? How can you see a spirit which is everywhere filling the whole universe with human eyes? How? Nor can see. To whom be honor and power everlasting. Praise God. The only way God could interact with us, brothers and sisters, is he sent his word from his spirit and his word was made flesh. That is God's mercy for us. Amen. But we cannot limit all of God to that flesh. Why will you limit God? It's not Why? The apostle did not say God became flesh. He said the word was made flesh. Let's obey the apostle. Let's follow the apostle. Let's fear the apostle. Let's not add or remove from the word of God. It's clear. The word was made flesh. Stop over there. So, the word was made flesh. This word died on the cross. Please say with me, he died. Amen. He died. When I say died, period, died. What is death? The separation of your spirit from your body. That is death. Jesus gave up the ghost. Finished. What is left in that tomb of Joseph of Arimathea? A dead body. Whose dead body? Say God's dead body. Isaiah 26, 19. What did he say? Your dead men shall rise together with my dead body. Amen. Praise God. Can we turn there? Isaiah chapter 26 verse 19. Thy dead men shall live. How? Together with my dead body shall they rise. Come on. Hallelujah. Together with my dead body. If God is calling his body dead, we cannot go beyond that and say something. We'll be in serious trouble. So, God's dead body was in the grave. Jesus said, destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. Hallelujah. He kept his word. Was he dead? I assure you, Romans know. Roman soldiers know if somebody is dead or not. Amen. Why is it they did not break his leg? Because he was dead. Praise God. So, he died. And... Because of that, we also die with him, buried with him in baptism. It's a real spiritual death. Hallelujah. Praise God. The lifeless body of God was there in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Praise God. Amen. Turn with me to Isaiah 53 verse 10. I'm oh, sorry. Isaiah 53, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah 53, verses 9 and 10 says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Say his death. Hallelujah. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. With the rich in his death. Jesus was dead in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. 
His soul an offering for sin. What does it mean to make your soul an offering for sin? It means you are dead as dead can be. Praise God. So, when the flesh of God is dead in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, where is God? By the way, this is the favorite question of Muslims. They ask me, where is God? If I say, you people haven't been listening. I said, the word was made flesh. Why? Because that is the gift of God. That's what I was preaching in London. The flesh is a gift. If you take away somebody's gift, does it mean you took the person away? Huh? <laughs> it's a gift. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Amen. We cannot reduce all of God to that flesh. Amen. There was a time God existed without his flesh. Are you with me? There was a time God did not have flesh. The word was made flesh means there was a time that God, the word was not flesh. So what was the word? The word was the words of God. He said it. My words that go forth out of my mouth. We cannot deny God his own words. With his word he created. With his word he inspired prophets. With his word he raised up the dead. But one day when the fullness of time came. He sent his word and the word was made flesh. And what is the spirit or the life working in that flesh? It's the father himself. The Father is in His Word. Amen. God cannot dwell in anything else. He dwells in His Word. He can dwell in us. But we are not His body in the sense of we are not of His substance. When we put on Christ, we <coughs> receive His body. But the only true, real, Body of God is his of his word. That is the son of God. That is the word of God. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. That means this is my body. This is uh, what I gave birth to. Thou art my son. Today I gave birth to you. Psalm 2 verse 7. Why? So he could enter into his body. Teach us. He doesn't have to send an angel doesn't have to send a prophet. For three years, he was teaching us himself. God longed to talk to us himself with it from his own body. He's not going to borrow the body of an angel or somebody else. For three years, blessed three years, God himself came in his own body. He himself smiled at us. He himself ate with us. He raised his hand and touched us in his own body. What a wonderful truth. We should never stop talking about this. It's the most powerful thing. Hallelujah. This is salvation. Even the law marvels at this. Angels are shocked at this. They look at him. Do you know what angels love to talk about? They love to talk about what I'm we are talking about now. I'm sure they are here listening. Rejoicing. Amen. Things which angels desire to look into. Great is the mystery of God. Believed on in the world. He said, Angels also mentioned there in 1 Timothy 
So let us understand this. Amen. That there was a time God had no flesh. He didn't need a flesh. The flesh is only for us. Does God need a flesh? Well, if he didn't create us, he would never need a flesh. He doesn't need a flesh for angels. He doesn't need a flesh for seraphim. He only needs a flesh for us. Hallelujah. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15 says there will come a day that the Father will be all in all. What does that mean? It means the role that he played through that flesh will no longer be needed in the sense that in, in 50 million years from now, Jesus is not saved. God is not saving anybody through his flesh. He finished everything. But of course, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So, please be sure, know the doctrine. Be very clear about the doctrine. Hallelujah. Amen. It's very clear. It's very simple. It's very beautiful. Hallelujah. God in the spirit has immortality. He can never die. He died in the flesh. The flesh of God was given for us as a sacrifice. We can only say what the Bible says. Amen. The Bible never said God died. Never. We will be adding to the word of God. We are not greater than John. We are not greater than Peter. We fear the word of God. We will not add or remove anything. We forbid it in Jesus' name. So, say what the Bible says. Stick to that. Fear nobody. Because when it comes to the identity of Jesus, Jesus will judge us. Jesus will hold us responsible. The doctrine must be pure, must be clear. Amen. Let us shout what the apostles shouted. Let us suffer for what the apostles suffered. Let us not go beyond because the devil will come. If we change one small thing, the devil will make you change 50 things. Be very careful. I'm not speaking by my flesh. I'm speaking by the Spirit of God. Let's stand for the truth. Say what God said. Don't go beyond. Amen. Be zealous. The Bible said, contend for the truth which was once delivered to the saints. If there is one thing you should fight for, Jude, contend for the truth which was once delivered to the saints. It was not delivered again and again. It was delivered once by the apostles. Our job is to take what was delivered and preach it. We are not being, being delivered a new word of God to write again. Am I going to sit and write and say, this is one book which should be in the Bible? Then the devil is entered. We have to be very careful. I say with love, but when it comes to the doctrine, to the truth of God, we have to be clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't touch the thing which is not from God. It will be very poisonous, very dangerous. So let me say this. The law was pointing to Christ. The law made it clear that the law wants blood. What does it mean blood? Death. The law is crying for death. God had to come and give something which has blood. And guess what? Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says exactly the same thing. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Acts 20, 28, what does it say? Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which, which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers 
to feed the church of God, which he, somebody say he, say which he, that is God, has purchased with his own blood. Amen. Do you know that in the Old Testament, if anybody gave the blood of an animal and the animal is not dead, that is not a sacrifice. It's not just giving blood. I can cut somebody and we all go to the doctor and the doctor takes some blood from us. That doesn't mean we are dead. When it comes to sacrifice, the sacrifice which is atonement, the sacrifice which is there to reconcile us with God, you must be dead. That is why the Bible makes clear Jesus died. They were going to break his legs. They saw he's dead. There is no need to break his legs. Jesus died. Hallelujah. The perfect sense. He purchased the church with his death. He purchased you and me with his blood. That is why Jesus, when he appeared to Thomas, he appeared to many people after that time. He showed them the nail prints. He told John in Revelation, I was alive. Then he died and now he's alive forevermore. He's saying himself he, he was dead and he's alive. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Such a beautiful gospel. I'm sharing these things. The spirit of God is leading. It's not part of my, because I'm hearing from different, I don't want to say uh, no names, no nothing. I'm just saying I'm hearing even ministers of God who should know this doctrine for many, many years. We receive this word of God from them. And I'm hearing there is confusion. People are shocked. People are leaving churches because people don't seem to know what is the doctrine of. Listen, this is what the apostles are saying. Let's stick to it. When the apostle Paul had problems in Europe about doctrine, you know what he said? Let's go to Jerusalem. Let us go to Peter and solve this problem. Amen. Doctrine is the business of the leader of the church. Amen. The leader of the church is responsible for the doctrine. If we don't put in order the doctrine, God will judge us. And we must do our duty with love, but at the same time, firmly. Amen. We, we are not like Moses. Somebody said, uh, Moses actually came from the mountain. What did he do? He smashed the Ten Commandments. He took the calf, he broke it, he made them drink it. God did not judge him for that. I'm not saying we're going to be like Moses. But God wants us to contend for the faith. If we cannot give clear answers to Trinitarians, we're in trouble. If we cannot give clear answers to UPC about our doctrine, we're in trouble. If we cannot give clear answers from within the church, when such questions arise, we're in trouble. But may God... May we be able to say, I can wash my hands. We are teaching what we have always taught, what we received from faithful people of God. But more than anything, we receive from the apostles. If somebody tells you, but so-and-so is saying this, say it doesn't matter who so-and-so is. Are they the apostles? No. I want to talk about what the apostles say. I, when I talk to people of the Bible, I don't talk about who said what. We talk about what the Bible said. What did the apostles say? Amen. Let me tell you about one thing. Please understand what I'm saying with love because the devil's job is to always come and check whether we know the word of God or not. When he came to Adam and Eve, he asked him uh, to Eve, did God say? When he came to Jesus, he said, you know, it's written. The devil only quotes scriptures for the people of God. So you better know the scriptures. You should listen and say, excuse me, no, no. 
let's turn to the Bible devil. Let's talk. The Bible, the devil doesn't come with the Bible. He talks. So when he talks, say, excuse me, uh, can we open? Let's, can you read the scripture? Never talk to anybody without reading the scripture. Then ask them. So now, where did you get this from? If Peter didn't say this, if Isaiah did not say this, why are you twisting the word of God? Why? It's very dangerous, very dangerous when people take freedom to change the word of God. They, that's, we, this is the age we're living in. What did the Bible say? In the last days, people will follow doctrines of devils. I'm warning you now. The devil is coming with great power. And one of the first things to destroy the church, he will try to attack the doctrine. Let it be clear. We believe God is one. There is no trinity. Amen. God cannot be divided. We believe the word of God was made flesh. Amen. We don't believe. We don't say. We have never said God was made flesh. Because John never said it. And nobody in the Bible said it. How can you invent your own Bible? Two, three. We are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ alone. For there is no other name under heaven amongst men by which we must be saved. We will never apologize for preaching the doctrine. Amen. You have left families. You have left many things. Be ready to sacrifice whatever it costs in Jesus' name. We believe in receiving the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. It's not something that even Peter could control. Peter had no power. Peter came back from Caesarea Philippi, humbled. He said, God has shown you. But he's no respect of any priest. This truth belongs to Jesus, brothers and sisters. He said, I will build my church. This is a rock. If you lay any other foundation, it will be destroyed. And whoever you preach those messages to will be destroyed. All that work will amount to nothing. Let's hold on to the truth which we receive. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Jesus died. Jesus rose up. This is the gospel. This is the gospel which is brought before the court of law. Why did they bring Jesus to that court of law? Pilate. Talk to him. You know why Jesus is silent? Because you only speak. If you don't want to die. But he came for to die. What's there to talk about? The only thing is. The sins they're accusing him of. He did not do. All are false with him. But our sins he accepted. That's why he's silent. He took our sins upon him. In that way he's guilty. And had to come. The gospel had to come before the court of law. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is about his life. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Why did the apostle Paul have to come before a court of law? I'm telling you, if you are part of the gospel, if Jesus is in you, if you are speaking for Jesus, don't be surprised if you have to be brought before a court of law. You have to speak for Jesus. You have to defend the gospel. What did he do? What did Paul do wrong? Nothing. He was preaching that he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's preaching that Jesus rose up from the dead. That's why he's in prison. 
in chains. Why are we troubled? Because we say the word was made flesh. And he died for us. And he rose up. Praise God. The gospel will always come before the court of law. The Romans, let me conclude. The Romans were the third party in all of this. The third party is the world. You have the law, you have the gospel, and you have the world. Note that both in the case of the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul, the Romans were the reluctant third party. See how uncomfortable Pilate was. See how hesitant Festus was. In Luke chapter 23, verse 4, the Bible said, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. In Acts chapter 25, verse 25, Acts 25, verse 25, this, the Apostle Paul is brought before Festus. What does he say? But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him. It is a good thing the Lord did not and will not allow the world to let the gospel escape. Say with me, the gospel will never escape. It will always come before a court of law. Why? The gospel must be brought on trial, to trial. And then it will receive the judgment of the law. On our behalf. So that we can be free. Amen. Jesus has done no wrong. None could lay a sin at his foot. And yet he accepted the sentence of death for all of us. The gospel in the coat. Is a very powerful thing. It needs no lawyers. Have you noticed that? There were no lawyers for the gospel. Because Jesus is his own lawyer. He's the advocate. Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak for yourself. But Jesus was speaking to him. Jesus is his own lawyer. Amen. Who has the boldness to arrest the gospel and to judge it? Not me. But there were people, Pilate, Festus, Felix, Agrippa. So ask them. I'm telling you, they were glad the trial was over quickly. They were glad. They never forgot the day they tried the gospel in the court. You know what happened? They ended up being the ones who were tried by the gospel. Imagine a judge meeting a prisoner who makes you shake and you feel you're on trial. This is how the gospel is. Acts chapter 24, 25, verse 25 says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this kind. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. That was what it took for the law to help us. To bring the gospel to the coat of trial. I want to conclude by saying every day the gospel is in a coat room somewhere in the world. You and I may be taken to coat for the gospel. And what is the crime of the gospel? Disturbing the peace, you say? Which peace? We are disturbing the world so that the world can have peace with Jesus. 
A peace without the gospel is enmity with God. If we think to relax and ignore the souls of people, the law will send people to arrest us. The law will find the chief priests and Pharisees who will take a note to kill us. God forbid. And when we are arrested and testify, we will satisfy the demands of the law. Let us turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19 in conclusion. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Let us conclude with this. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And had given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Praise God. To wit that God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Praise God. To wit that God was in Christ. What does it mean God was in Christ? God was in that flesh. Can God leave that flesh? Of course. Before that, he was not in that flesh. God was in Christ. And God was out of Christ, out of that body on the cross. Praise God. This is the mystery of God. We can never lose it. We will lose everything. And the beginning was the word. Amen. The word was with God. When it said in the beginning was the word, that word was not flesh, as Trinitarians believe. The word was with God. The word was God. Me and my word are the same. I have a question for you. How many words do I have? Does that mean I am many people because I have millions of words? God has many words. Don't limit him to one word. But all is called the word of God. So God took one word and the word was made flesh. Praise God. To now take that word which came from God and to say that that is everything that is God. It's dangerous. Because that word died. It has the ability to die. Amen. God in his spirit has no ability to die. But his word. That is why I keep insisting and I keep repeating. Please say the word was made flesh. Keep saying the word was made flesh. Don't go away from that. You will be in trouble. Always say the word was made flesh. We don't know more than John. It's impossible to be greater than John. He's a beloved apostle. He's the one told to write this. So we have to understand the mystery of God begins with this word. And this word, we can never leave it. We have to understand its meaning. Hallelujah. Let's look at 1 Peter 1.23. I said that was the last scripture, but... We need to understand this. 
We are hearing strange things even in faraway countries. People are going on YouTube, going here and there. We don't want this confusion. Let it be clear what the what apostolic people believe. First Peter 1.23 said, being born again. What are we born again of? Amen. Not of corruptible seed. Amen. We're not born again of Adam and Eve. That is corruptible seed. But of incorruptible. What is the incorruptible seed of God, brothers and sisters? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Do you see how the apostles are very clear with the choice of their language? Do not add to their language or remove from their language. He's clear. How are you born again? Say by the word of God. Because to be born requires flesh. To die requires flesh. And this flesh and this death and all of this comes from the word of God. Can we say word of God? Amen. All this comes from the word of God. Word of God. Praise God. If we change that, we're in trouble. It begins with the word of God. It finishes with the word of God. Everything to do with this earth has to do with the word of God. So if somebody says, but what's the difference? We can say God because we are trying to explain that when you say God, we are speaking about also the spirit. Are you with me? The Bible does not say the spirit became flesh. The Bible is speaking about the word. It's very specific. Don't speculate and jump here and there. We'll get in trouble. Quote the scripture. Ask God what does it mean. So, And if you don't understand, just repeat what they said. Because it says we are built on the foundation of the apostles. He who hears you, hears me. So, God is specific. He's telling us, we were not there. Is anybody here who was in Bethlehem? No. Anybody here who was there when John said in the beginning was the word, are we there? No. John was, John heard from the Spirit of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. See, my word is part of me. But are you going to tell me my word is exactly everything of me in the sense there is no difference between... Have you met a person who has no word? Who is mute? There are people who are not able to speak. Does that mean that they are not a human being? Does that mean that they are not humans? They are not a person? So what is the conclusion? The conclusion is John is trying to teach us just as I have a word and my word has a different function eh? than mean the rest of my body. What is my essence? Flesh and blood. How do you know what I'm thinking? By my word. If you see my flesh, do you know what I'm thinking? No. God has spirit. But he has to speak to let you know with his words what he's thinking, who he is. That word, that aspect of God was made flesh. Let's not add, remove any. 
The word was God, but it didn't say God became flesh. The word was made flesh. We need to stick there, not go beyond it. Then we're in trouble. So, word, there was a man called Zechariah. He's a priest. But he lost his word. He has no word. He cannot speak. When he wrote the word of God, the name of his son, then God released his mouth. If we speak what God said, God will bless our word. He will open our mouth. But if we don't agree with God and his word, we, we, we're in danger. Let's be fearful of the word of God. Please, let's quote the word of God. Let's be humble not to move from it. Even when people are coming together to have Bible studies, be careful. Make sure you have a person who is ordained of God, who has a proven ministry with doctrine to teach correctly. The Bible said Ezra prepared his heart to teach the people of God. God did not call everybody. He called some people. The gifts of God are without repentance. We don't know why he, he called some people to teach. So if we all begin to now talk whatever we want, there will be confusion. So I beg you, it's my duty. Uh, if you see me as a leader, amen. If you say you're my leader, it's not a leader for decoration. I say with love. It's leadership to correct the doctrine. It says in the Bible, leadership is for correcting the doctrine. Amen. And this is the doctrine by which we are having fellowship. Not by any other doctrine. We don't know a fellowship with another doctrine. I'm saying very straight as Brother Paul. People get offended sometimes with what I say, but we are, not, we are here to please God. It's okay if people are offended. Offend me, it doesn't matter. What is important is if we are offended for the truth. Amen. And this is the truth. What John is saying, the word was made flesh. Jesus died on the cross, praise God. Hallelujah. God did not die. It does not say that in the Bible. Give me a scripture where it says God died. To say God died is a shocking statement. It's a blasphemy to hear this. God did not die. The Bible tells us, beat the church which God has purchased with his own blood. Somebody's purchasing and we're saying he's dead. How does a dead person purchase? Have you ever heard of a dead person buying something? In the spirit, he's not dead. He's buying something. He's saying, destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. But if you are dead, how can you raise yourself up? What are you? Who are you? <laughs> Praise God. He's God. He's spirit. Immortality. So who died? Who rose up? Look at the book of Revelation. When John saw Jesus' flesh, Jesus said, I was alive. Then he died. Then he's alive. Amen. It's the flesh. Spirit never dies. The spirit never changes. Praise God. Humans cannot touch the spirit of God. That's why he's God. He's everywhere at the same time. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. You can't touch God. Praise God. I can't touch him. But we were allowed to touch his flesh. His word. God gave power to humans to touch his flesh, his word. 
But humans should not become arrogant and think, oh, we killed God. We tortured God. <laughs> Your dead men shall rise together with my dead body. Imagine somebody speaking like, together with my dead body. Amen. God gave birth to his own body. The word was made flesh. And God allowed humans to kill his body. But he raised his body up. This is his beloved son. Amen. For our sins, he allowed his body to be handled by us. Amen. To do whatever we wanted. But remember, it was only for three days. Only three days he allowed us to do what we wanted. After that, never again. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is his body. It is his flesh. Amen. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. What is he speaking about there? What is he speaking about? John 6.51. Listen carefully. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. He did not say it's his spirit. Is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. How simple is it? There is a spirit in him. And there is a body. He said in, when he was going to die, before he died, he said, take, eat, this is my body. He never said, this is my spirit. We cannot eat his spirit. We can only be filled with his spirit. His spirit gives us life. In the spirit. We are partaking of the word that was made flesh. Can you see clearly in John 6, 51 that Jesus speaking about his flesh? Amen. The bread which I will give you is my flesh. And let's say it's his flesh. Amen. It's not his spirit. I've told people before. When you see the Lord's Supper. It's nothing to do with his uh, spirit. It's to do with his flesh. The lamb. Say lamb. Which was slain. In the Passover we talk about flesh. Nobody can kill God. Nobody's killing a spirit. During the Passover. Ask the Jews. It's all about the lamb. It's about a body, about a flesh, about blood. It's not about the spirit. The word was made flesh. That flesh is the bread. It's the lamb. That's what died for our sins. That's what rose up. Who gave birth to it? Who raised it up? God. Amen. God as spirit can never die. God as spirit can never be killed. Praise God. He alone has immortality. Praise Jesus. Thank God for his gift. Thank God for the bread which came down from heaven. Thank God for the lamb of God. Hallelujah. Slain from the foundation of the earth. Amen. In God's mind already he planned his death. The death of the word of the flesh. Amen. We thank God for these powerful truths. It's our duty to keep repeating them. It's our duty to keep contending for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This is what the Bible says. Amen. So we have to 
accept this as the word of God. If we wrestle, we fight. Fight with the word of God. It's good for us. Amen. In the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Amen. Contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I charge you in Jesus' name that you contend for this faith. Amen. That was once delivered unto the saints. Praise God. We have to save our souls and you have to save those who listen to you. Amen. May God help us. May God give you boldness, give you strength. Hallelujah. May God uh, help us because we are living in a time, I assure you, that uh, the spirit of the Antichrist will be coming. The Bible says people will not be willing to even listen to the word of God, to the doctrine of God. They will have itching ears. Not me. It's not me. The Apostle Paul is saying that the time will come, they will have itching ears. What does that mean? 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth shall be turned unto fables. So please listen. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers. Let's read 2 Timothy 4 from verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. This is what I'm trying to do. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, Exalt with all long suffering and doctrine. Doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having it to They shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. If you ever hear somebody, I heard somebody say some time ago, doctrine is not important. I took the person aside, I said, please. Don't say this again. Doctrine is everything for us. It's life and death for us. Amen? Doctrine is very serious for Brother Paul. We have to challenge. If you hear somebody speaking false doctrine, take them aside like Aquila, Priscilla. Better still take them to the pastor. But be careful. Because that will destroy souls. We have to engage. We have to be strong. We have to speak the truth we cannot lie about the identity of Jesus. Amen. To him who much is given, much is required. Amen. He may say, oh, this was a very harsh, strong, Baba, whatever. Well, I didn't uh, take Ten Commandments and break it and uh, force anybody to. That's what Moses did. I don't know why. Sometimes people want to, uh, sorry to say, but they want to order the kind of leader they want. They tell you, jump here, do this. It's not right. Allow us to be leaders for Jesus, as Jesus called. Otherwise, you should not call us leaders. And we don't say, follow me no matter what, and we try to please anybody. We've never done that. We try to please Jesus, but we love you. If you love the truth, and our job is to correct, yes. Amen. But please, be careful also. Don't say, 
You have to only correct with a sweet spirit. Where did you read this in the Bible? Have you, have you had a father? Did he always correct you with just sweetness? Catch you every time and kiss you? No. I had parents. They corrected me in brutal ways sometimes. So we, we try not to do it. But please, I'm just saying it because sometimes it's weird what I hear from the church, from the people of God. But we are not here to please anybody. We are here to please Jesus. If this was not even part of my message. The Spirit of God took over. And the Spirit of God is speaking. If we cannot endure the teaching, if we have itching ears, we will end up in the congregation of the dead. But for your sake, for the sake of salvation, for the sake of this truth, we beg you. Amen. Be humble in Jesus' name. Let God allow you to be corrected. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. It's not a blessing for anybody. Humble yourself. Amen. And accept when a man of God, if you consider us to be man of God, if you don't, I don't know why people call us leaders. Then. Accept in Jesus' name. We love you. Is this not how a father is supposed to speak to you? Is this not how a father will uh, contend with you? Is this not how a father will challenge you for the sake of Christ? Amen. For good things. Amen. <laughs> so we are saying, please, uh, we love you. I wish I can always say sorry, sorry, but we don't. We cannot say sorry for the doctrine. If you want us to say sorry for the attitude, which is worse, that we have a wrong... Shall we tell Moses, can you say sorry that you smashed the Ten Commandments? Can you say sorry that you forced us to drink the golden calf with water? Please say sorry, Moses. We are offended with you. Come on. This is Moses. I'm not Moses. We accept from Moses. If Bishop Tekle had spoken like this, people will accept. If Bishop Dego had spoken, people accept. But sorry to say, <laughs> sometimes we, we only want some ministers because they are more convenient for us. Do what I want. If you behave like Brother Tekle or Brother Dego, then you'll have a problem with me. That's not right. And that we can never accept. So we love you. Sorry to speak very openly. That's always been my character. Everybody's different. We have told each other when we left our Ethiopian brothers and sisters, we love them. We didn't leave all of them. But we will be honest with each other. The Bible says, lie not one to another. Amen? That's the Bible we know. So you know what is in my heart. You know where your leader stands as Brother Paul. You know what I believe in. You know this is what I fight for. You know this is what we will die for by the grace of God. We don't uh, teach anything else. We don't know anything else. Our books, we've written some things. But what we have written is not important. We have the word of God. We have the apostles. Amen. Jesus never promised any of us that our books will live forever, but his word will live forever. I will close with those words. Pray for me. Amen. And more than me, pray for the doctrine. Amen. Because 1 Timothy 4.16 says, maybe that's the last one we should all look at. If you say, why did he say all of this? I have a scripture. And Let's accept the scripture. First, First Timothy 4.16 Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing so, doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear you. I pray to God that we have taken care of ourselves and the doctrine. And 
that we have preached it because by this preaching people will be saved if you have said anything which contradicts this which is from the scripture it's your duty to go to those people and say that was wrong and to teach them what the word of God says we have a responsibility and by the way this doctrine I will never get tired we will keep hammering till Jesus comes back even if we are the last person on this earth be 100% sure of it in Jesus name amen so Let's love the doctrine. This is our life. This is everything we stand for. This is the doctrine. What is doctrine? The identity and the revelation of Jesus. This is doctrine. This is our life. Praise God. If we don't have the correct revelation of Jesus, we will die in our sins. Unless you believe I am he, you shall die in your sins. We don't want to die in our sins because of wrong revelation. Amen. Jesus bless you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this day for your word. We believe that you are in control. You are seated on the throne of heaven. Your word keeps us alive. In, in you, we live and move and have our being. We can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. You said you will build your church and you are building your church with the revelation of yourself. Upon this rock, I will build my church. This Petra, this revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the revelation that we have been speaking about. This is the revelation upon which you will build your church. To know the mystery of God. That God was manifested in the flesh. That in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead body. The word was made flesh. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus, we bless you. We have done our part, Jesus. We hear many rumors and rumors of rumors. But we have the antidote. We have the remedy. The remedy is your word. We have preached your word. Jesus, let your word conquer hearts. Let your word, let everyone bow down to the word of God. Hallelujah. Let us worship you through this revelation that the apostles declare. Grant us faithfulness to your word. Above all, grant us courage. The apostles prayed in the book of Acts chapter 4 for courage, boldness to speak your word. We need boldness in these last days. There will be many offended, but that is how salvation comes. The word of God never spread without people being offended. We pray, Jesus, that you will offend and you will save. You will offend and you will deliver. You will offend and you will save souls. Hallelujah in Jesus' name. Bless your word. Help us all, Jesus, to, to appreciate your word, to bind ourselves, to be servants of your word. To fear no man or woman except you, Jesus. Grant us this mercy. Grant us this grace. We love you. We lift your name up on high. All we pray is that you will inspire us through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray this, and the church says, Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. I yield the mic to you, brother. Uh, Samson, God bless you. Brother Paul, is, is there any questions going to be, or shall we just close? Uh, God bless. Uh, feel free if you have questions. I can see. Uh, I will even uh, record them, but it's clear that... Uh, the Spirit of God is leading in another direction as the God's God sees fit. And 
let let the let God continue to lead. So feel free if you have if people have any questions. God bless you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Jesus bless you, brother Paul, uh, for the word of God that we have received. Um, brother um, brother Johannes had two questions from the um from the chat room. Um, one of the questions was um, why why can't be why can't the word be God? Um, if you have a, a look at it, brother Paul. And the other one is um at the at the top. I'll um check. Uh, Jesus bless, brother. Uh, maybe we can begin with that first one. Yeah. Okay. Because if uh, I can't see in the chat, but what did you say now? He said. Um. What I'll is just... the question? Yeah, I'll read it for you. Okay. The first one says, if the word is from eternity and is God, how can we can reconcile the idea of celebrating a birthday for someone who is considered eternal? Uh, the thing is this, uh, Brother Johannes, because I assume you are thinking about the day the word was made flesh. Is that the birthday you are talking about? If that is the case, we don't have any command in the Bible to celebrate that birthday. We don't even know when it is. So there is no command in the Bible to celebrate the birthday of the flesh. I don't know if I understood your question correctly. Uh, because our revelation from the word of God is not about the date of birth or time. But that when the fullness of time came, God sent his word. His word was made flesh for our salvation. That is what we rejoice at. Not a particular day or anything of that sort. If your question is, why are we rejoicing at the flesh since it comes from eternity? Well, if the word of God is from eternity, but it doesn't help you and me. If the word is not made flesh, it doesn't help. So we rejoice that the word was made flesh because then we are saved through that flesh and blood. That's why we, we celebrate, we worship God in his flesh by the name Jesus. For us, it's everything. Our full attention is on Bethlehem and his flesh. So that's what we are rejoicing at. Amen. So the, the word is from eternity. The word was made flesh on a particular day. Yeah. So we are rejoicing that the word was made flesh on a particular day. We rejoice at that. I hope that is clear. But God was word from the beginning, but it doesn't help us unless he decided to save us by the word being made flesh. God bless you. If, uh, if that's clear, we'll go to the next question. If not, uh, you can ask a follow-up question. God bless you. Brother Paul. 
if the second question is if the word is god why can't we say that god became flesh uh, simple brother because firstly john never said it the bible never said it so if somebody wants to say it they are adding to the word of god i hope that is clear that is the first thing i would say never say something which is not in the bible now the reason you cannot say it and john stopped by saying the word was made flesh there is not one place in the bible where the bible says god was made flesh never so why does he not say that god was made flesh because as i was explaining earlier when you say god we are speaking about spirit before god god's word was made flesh what was he he was only spirit the spirit of god is everywhere the spirit of god cannot die when the word was made flesh the flesh is not everywhere the flesh can die is this clear to everybody i hope i'm speaking simple language please listen carefully the reason you cannot say god became flesh is because god is spirit spirit is everywhere but flesh is not everywhere that's why jesus said i must go unless he goes he cannot send the spirit you see so john is careful because this it's not the same thing it's not the same thing i gave you two examples the flesh does not know everything jesus said only the father knows the son can do nothing by himself it's not my words this is john 5:19 he doesn't even know the day he's returning i uh, are you all listening to me <laughs> it's so clear you cannot say god became flesh because then you are limiting god which part of god is saying that he must go away which part of god which part of god is limited which part of god dies which part of god says he doesn't even know the day he's coming back it's so clear that's why we react when we hear somebody saying something which is i am telling you i please i'm becoming emotional i know something about doctrine something little bit i have never heard this doctrine before never in apostolic church it doesn't belong in apostolic church listen to me it's not from god we have to remove it out of the church so people are free to believe it but this not what we teach it's not apostolic we don't know any uh, of, of the uh, word of god that teaches who when jesus said i can of myself do nothing yeah who is saying that god god can do nothing when jesus said the day that our no one knows not even the son who is speaking please we need to get our theology correct yeah? otherwise we are going to be in danger so 
the reality is this. John was correct. He is a man of God. He knows he was with Jesus. He was a young man. He lived the longest. He saw many false doctrines come in the church. He corrected it. He said in the beginning was the word. He wrote this 100 years later. He's the last apostle. The word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh. He never said God was made flesh. We cannot say it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Why will you add to the Bible something which is not in the Bible? Why? I gave you reasons why it's not the same. The flesh is limited. The spirit is not limited. The flesh doesn't even know when it's going to come back. The flesh has no power without the spirit. So you cannot take the whole of God and re reduce him to a body. Amen? So, for all these reasons, we cannot say God became flesh. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't make sense. It's not theological. I never heard any minister of God say this. Amen? And I promise you, I never fellowship with this doctrine. I'm speaking straight now. Know where Brother Paul stands. I have nothing to do with this. I will not give platform for two minutes to this doctrine. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It's my duty to fight it, and I will fight it in Jesus' name. So, listen. The Bible is clear. John said the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who dwelt among us? Who woke up with them? Who ate with them? The flesh. Of course, God is in that flesh. But at the same time, he's everywhere. He said, I saw you, Nathaniel, before you came here. So who is John speaking about? He said, we handled. What did he handle of the word of life? Praise God. Amen. He did not handle the spirit. He handled what? Let's go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. John, 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. John, what did you see? Did you see what? Which we have looked upon, our hands have handled. What? Is it everything that is God? No, he didn't say it. He said the word. The word of life. For the life, that means that word of life was manifested. Amen. And we have seen it. And show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father. Amen. So clear, he is making distinction. He's not confusing the two. Yes, we shouldn't, when we say God is one, definitely God is one as spirit in flesh. You are one person, but you know that one day your spirit will separate from your flesh. Does that mean you became two persons? Never. You are always one person. In the same way God is one, although he separated from his flesh, and before the word was made flesh, he was one God. He never needed a flesh. Please understand this. Is God not God without his flesh? He is. 
most of the years, God from eternity lived without flesh. For our salvation, only 2,000 years ago, God did something new. His word became flesh. His word was made flesh and he dwelt in. It's something new. Don't reduce all of God to that flesh. We will be robbing God of his essence, who he is. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. I could go on and on, but it's good with these questions. It's becoming clearer because we have problems to answer Trinitarians when they ask us these questions. Where, why, why is Jesus saying, basically, he doesn't know when he's returning? Why is he saying, I can off myself do nothing? Because you have to acknowledge and by the way, this is also very clear in the book of Bishop Tekli. Very clear. There is the flesh aspect of God. That aspect of God dies. That aspect of God, uh, does a dead body know anything? Does a dead body know when it's going to return? It's dead by definition, dead. We have a saying in English, dead, dead people, uh, the dead tell no tale. Dead men tell no tale. They don't speak. They don't tell you a story. Can we accept that God's body was lying dead in Isaiah 26 verse 19? I showed you. Your dead men shall rise together with my dead body. Shall they live together with my dead body? God's word could be born and it could die. But never God who is spirit. So you, that for this reason you cannot say God became flesh. You cannot say impossible it's not biblical it's not there in the bible it cannot be justified theologically god bless brother um, johannes thank you brother paul that's clear um brother johannes i hope it's clear for you you want to answer um to brother paul brother johannes um is that clear for you, brother? Uh, okay. Um, am I coming through? Yes, yes, brother. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, brother Paul, it, it is uh, Jesus said uh, the word as the the word as uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Um, that will I, be. I like, can't hear you properly. If you can speak a bit louder, brother. Uh, the word I spoke to you is uh, spirit. There is some scripture I don't remember. When Jesus told to the apostle, the word I have spoken to you. Sorry, is... I, I can't hear you, uh, brother. I don't know if it's my microphone or what. Okay. Um... Uh, I will use Haimana's computer. Yes, now it's clear, brother. Yes, go ahead. Now it's clear, brother Hans. I, I was just thinking, uh, since the flesh of Jesus is from the word of God, and the word of God is uh, from eternity, uh, why, can't, why not can we, why can't we say 
Jesus is the flesh of Jesus is from eternity. Even in some scripture, Jesus said to the apostle, the word I spoke to you is spirit. And in 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 Corinthians 15, it is written also the second Adam is cook uh, in spirit in English. And I then the sister Adam are some ondrida ponosh. So why cannot we say the flesh is from eternity? Why, if it is from the origin, is from the word of God? Uh... Listen, uh, we have to always quote Bible. We cannot uh, say, why can't I say? Uh, it's, uh, the Bible is the Bible. We don't have such scripture. What we have is Galatians 4. 4. We have John 1, 1, 2, 3, 14. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son. Yeah. So let's let's all look at Galatians chapter four and verse four. Because uh with with all due respect, uh, brother, uh, this is what I'm uh, trying to challenge now. Because if we say, why can't we say? Uh, this is what our we have to be careful because we have to say what the Bible said. We cannot say we can say this also. We we have to be careful. Let's begin with what the apostles said. Because we believe the word of God is the word of God. So let's quote the word of God. So it says in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now, even the Greek word there is dinomai. Came out of a woman under the law. Yeah. So, right here, Brother Yonis, you can see when God sent for the Son, He sent it under a time when the law was there through a woman. It was not during eternity. That's why we cannot say it. We have to limit ourselves to the Bible. We may want to say many things. But then we become philosophers. But the man of God, Paul is saying, there was a time that the word, which was not flesh in the beginning, John is also saying the same thing. In the beginning was the word. He never said that in the beginning is the flesh. So it's not about what we can say. It's what about the apostles said. Because they are ordained of God to speak. So we will run into trouble if we begin to speculate can we say this? Why are we not satisfied with what the apostle said? And stop there. And say, what, do, what does he mean by that? So what he's saying here is, it was not at a time of eternity that God sent for the son. It was not. It was not the time of Adam even. There was no law in the time of Adam. It was in the time of Mary, Bethlehem, when the law was there that God sent his son. Can we stop there? Of course, we can philosophize, but we, we say we are apostolic. John 1.1, 1, 1, what did he say? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was with God. He didn't say in the beginning was the flesh. We can't say what we want to say. Then he said later, 
Verse 14. And the word was made flesh. If it was made flesh, it was not flesh in the beginning. And when it's made flesh, when did it happen? Under the law, through a woman. Simple. Finish. If we don't stop there, we will go into all kinds of dangerous philosophy. And Paul told the apostle, uh, he told Timothy to avoid philosophy, science, falsely so-called. The word of God is revelation. These people, were, they moved as, the, they spoke as the spirit of God moved them. God told them to write this. Not, and he said, don't add or remove. Otherwise, we will be in trouble of hell judgment. So we need to gain that respect again for what the Bible says. The only problem is when we have different versions of the Bible. That's a serious problem. Then we have to go to Hebrew, Greek. But generally, it's not about what we can say. It's about what the apostles already said. They're our foundation. We cannot say, uh, can we change the foundation? Is it okay to try a new foundation? We will, we will collapse. Our foundation said there was no flesh in the beginning. Only word. So to say that God became flesh, what? God became something that he was not there in the beginning, before. What? This is what they are saying. God became something which never existed before. This is a God who changes. There was no flesh. God has no need of flesh. For our salvation, the word was made flesh. If there is no human beings, God will never become flesh. The, the word will never be made flesh. Has no need for the word to become flesh. So, God, the word was made flesh because of a problem, because of sin. Something terrible happened with this creation. This is not something natural for God. This is something which amazes the angels. So, sorry to be long, but I hope that is clear. It's not... Uh, in my humble opinion, the question is formulated wrong. Because it's, we can say many things, but it's not from the Bible. It's not what John said. It's not what the apostles said. The apostles are saying at a certain time. Amen. The first prophecy in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. It says the seed of the woman. Amen. See, the first prophecy is about the word, the seed of the woman. A woman has no seed. A woman has egg. So God's first prophecy is seed will come. Word will come to save us. Amen. He didn't say the God of the woman. He said the seed of the woman. We should stick to the language he uses. Born again by who? Incorruptible seed. That's the seed in Genesis 3.15. Praise God. God is saving us by seed, by word. He's not saving us by him changing into something else. Amen. His word. By his word, he created everything. And when we sin by the same word, he saves us. Hallelujah. So, I think the... the and these are good questions, by the way, although I'm speaking this way. But, you know, when it comes to doctrine, we have to we have to uh, contend. We have to push. 
And what I'm saying again and again, you see, I'm coming back to not leaving the scripture. Always begin with scripture and say, what, does, what is he saying here? But don't change the scripture. It's dangerous. But I will be honest with you. When somebody will change, I become afraid. I, I'm very afraid of such people. Even I, I really fear. I don't want to be around. It's dangerous. The spirit is dangerous. Somebody who lightly will change the word of God. What is that? What are you saying? Say what is in the Bible. Then let's talk. How do you understand it? And then we begin from there. What did Philip tell the Ethiopian? How do you understand this? He said, do you understand what you are reading? He, he didn't say, what do you think? What's your opinion of the Messiah? No. What, how do you understand Isaiah 53? Let's name Isaiah. Let's name John. Let's name, because when we name human beings, we'll run into trouble. Human beings have not said that. Somebody was even telling me, Brother Tekla, I said, I, I didn't, uh, Brother Tekla is not an apostle. He's not my apostle. He can, he can make mistakes. He made, a, he said some things which we don't agree with. We, if Bishop Tekla showed me from the Bible and I look at the Bible, I accept the authority of the Bible, not Bishop Tekla. It doesn't matter if you quote Bishop Tekla or Bishop Dego or whoever. doesn't matter. What matters is what the, the apostles say. Amen. The Bible tells us we are to search from the book of the Lord and read. Not one shall fail. Let's please, please turn to Isaiah chapter 34, verse 16. Isaiah 34, verse 16. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it had commanded and his spirit it had gathered them. Praise God. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says also about a people called Bereans. These Bereans were called noble. Why were they noble? Because even though the Apostle Paul is speaking to them, they don't know him. They said, let's give him a chance. Let's see if these things are so. And at Berea, these people were listening and they were checking to see if these things are so in the Bible. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 11. These were no more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They checked the Bible every day. Don't accept something which is not in the Bible. It's dangerous. doesn't matter who they are. Unless the, your name is John or Paul or Isaiah, we don't accept your authority. Say what you want. We want to see that you're speaking from the Bible. Let's go there. Let's analyze it. So forgive me for saying this again, for being long, but I'm saying there is many things we can say, but it doesn't matter. Let's begin with a scripture. Otherwise, we are speculating. We are philosophers. So let's first say what is in the Bible. It's holy. We may not understand it, but it's holy. It's beautiful. It's our foundation. We will never leave it. We will cry and say, Jesus, show me what is the meaning of this. But if we begin to change it, who are we? Are we don't we fear God? Saints of God, I want to say honestly, we did not leave Ethiopia to change the word of God. Not me. Amen.
We didn't leave because of doctrine. We thank God for the doctrine. But we didn't get our all doc the whole doctrine revelation from Ethiopia. We I got we got most of it from UPC. All of you who were with Ethiopia. It's UPC who came and gave one God doctrine. UPC who said baptism is in Jesus' name to Ethiopia. Ethiopia did not know this. Bishop Tekle told me we have his book. And God gave Bishop Tekle the revelation of the flesh of Jesus. So all this we check in the Bible. We cannot say according to UPC, God is one. According to UPC, baptism in Jesus. According to Ethiopia, the flesh of Jesus is from heaven. No, we have to quote Paul. Give me names, Paul, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 47. Give me name, John. Give me name, hallelujah, Mark. This is what Jesus said, go take the gospel to the whole world. Who is he speaking to? Twelve apostles. Amen. Beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. They are the ones who are going to tell the world. They are the ones who wrote the New Testament. We will hold on to it. We will not change. Doesn't matter who said. Sorry to be preaching. Another message I started there. Uh, the recording is going to be extremely long. But I think doctrine is salvation. Amen. Why did we leave... Uh, our different religions. Why did I leave Islam? Why did some of you leave Orthodox religion? Why did we leave UPC? We suffered. The UPC pastor was like my father. After 10 years, we left him because of doctrine. Doctrine divides people. We have to be very careful. Don't joke with doctrine. It will not end well in Jesus' name. Please, you, like you can see the Spirit of God is uh, saying something. God is uh, troubled about something. Let's go back to the doctrine. That which we heard in the beginning, the Bible says. If that which we heard in the beginning will remain in us, amen, then everything will be okay. Praise God. So John himself tells us this. God allowed the apostle John to live long enough to protect the doctrine. Second John, sorry, first John chapter 2 verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. You see? If you remember what you heard in the beginning, then you have the Son and the Father. What does he mean? Then you have both the flesh and the spirit of God. Praise God. Why is he using this language, the Son and the Father? Why? We believe in one God. We tell people don't separate them. But when you tell somebody don't separate, it means it is possible to separate. Please understand that. On the cross, God separated from his flesh. Only God can separate from his flesh. He did it for three days. Never again. So, we cannot separate them. But that doesn't mean that there is no, there is a uh, understanding of the flesh of God and there is an understanding of the spirit of God. Clearly, it's there in the Bible. I, I spent a lot of time showing you. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Is he speaking about spirit? Why will he speak like this if he's speaking about spirit? He's speaking about the body, flesh. And this flesh was not there in the beginning, Brother Johannes. It doesn't make sense. 
to say the flesh was there in the beginning. Then it's a Trinitarian doctrine. The Bible says in Psalm 2 verse 7, Thou art my son, today I have begotten you. Today I have begotten you. There is a day the flesh is begotten. Amen. Before that time, it was not there. It was not there. Simply. God never had flesh before Bethlehem. Finish. So what did he have? He had only word. Where is his word? In him. Where is my word? It's in me. It's in my spirit. God's word is in his spirit. It's in him. Praise God. The spirit of God moved on the face of the waters and God spoke. Let there be light. Do you see? Where is the word of God? In his spirit. In him. Where is our word? We are made in the image of God. Amen. So, there is a reason. The Bible says, spirit and word. Why does it use these two words? Is God separate? No. There is a reason, brothers and sisters. We have to accept that. Otherwise, we will not understand the Bible. The Bible keeps repeating again and again. Job himself says, he speaks about being made by the spirit, by the word of God. So, spirit, word, spirit, word. Why is, there, is this uh, distinction always there in the Bible? Why? If it's not important. It is important. God is trying to show us, give us revelation of how he works. We are made in his image. Look at yourself. We cannot be compared to God, but to some degree you can see. Is your word and your spirit the same? Exactly the same? No. I told you. There are human beings who have a spirit. They don't have word. They can't speak. Are they human beings? Yes. But it's not how God made us. They were praying for miracle because the way God made is to have spirit and word. Praise God. And they're not exactly the same. But it's the same God, the same person. Is this difficult to understand? I hope not. <laughs> allow God to have his spirit and allow God to have his word. If the Bible said the word was made flesh, it's clear. The word was made flesh. We are not apostles. The apostle is telling us. So we know now. So does that mean God is no more word? No, I just told you that earlier, the Roman centurion told Jesus, Send your, it's, you don't need to come under my roof. That means, listen, word made flesh. Your flesh, oh God, does not need to come under my roof. Your flesh, which is from the word of God, does not need to come under my roof. But you can send your word, which is in you from your spirit to my house. Do you see that? Amen. And Jesus sent his word from him. God does not finish with his words. He does not run out of words. He has many words. Amen. His word is running swiftly. God is speaking to somebody in Japan right now. He's speaking to somebody in Italy. He can, Jesus can speak through one billion tongues. His word never finishes. So, understand what the Bible is saying about the flesh. 
do not reduce the spirit of God to the flesh and do not reduce the flesh of God to the spirit. We need to use scriptures. That's why the Apostle Paul said we need to rightly divide the word of God. Rightly divide the word of God. Please be careful. Make sure you are listening to somebody or talking to somebody who is able, rightly dividing the word of God. What does it mean to rightly divide the word of God? 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means the word of the truth can be divided, brothers and sisters. Divided means you give the correct understanding. Show what is of spirit, show what is of flesh. Show what is this, show what is that. Amen. Rightly dividing. Amen. May God help us to rightly divide so that we take his word and we show. Uh, by the way, the, the Greek word is saying to cut straight. Amen. It is to cut Amen. To dissect. So, we need to be able to show what is the word, what is the spirit. Amen. What was made flesh? The word was made flesh. Never does it say God was made flesh. If you say it's the same thing, then uh, by which authority do you say it's the same thing? By which authority? Which uh, person said it? Who gave that authority? It's not the same thing. So I beg you, apostolic people, we are only as strong as our doctrine. We are known for our doctrine. It's our pride. The Apostle Paul said, the brother whose praise is in the gospel, let's not lose that. Let's not begin to speak like philosophers. We will be in danger. Sorry, go ahead, brother. Honest. Okay, go ahead, brother Johannes. And then after that, I will um, give it to Brother Marhawi. Okay, thank you, Brother Simon. It will, this will be my last question. I agree we should not be philosopher. We should quote scripture, Brother Paul. So I will try to quote scripture. Uh, John 3.6, John 3, 6, Gospel of John. It is written... That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So I, I assume from this scripture that the flesh of Jesus is a spirit. And uh, also in First uh, Corinthians 15, 45, it is also written, the second Adam is a quickened spirit. So from, from this those scripture, I understand that, that the flesh of Jesus is like, it is, a, uh, it is a spirit. That's uh, the definition I understand. But what is your understanding from those scriptures? Uh, please read that scripture again, Brother Johannes. That, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. So my question, from this scripture, how can you say the flesh of Jesus is spirit? It's not written there. He said, listen, he said, and you read it yourself. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Is the flesh of Jesus born of flesh? No. No. It is born no. of the spirit. That is it. So you can't put something in there which is not saying. 
So if it is born of the spirit, then it is a spirit by the definition. Jesus is not the, here. What is Jesus speaking about in this scripture? What is he speaking about to Nicodemus? Okay, how do you reconcile the second Adam is the quickened spirit? No, no. The... What You see, if you look at this scripture, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Yeah? Yeah. Please look at the scripture before that, verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. Who is he speaking about? Is he speaking about himself or us? Uh, of course, it is for us. He's not talking about his flesh here, Brother Young. He's not speaking about his flesh. He is speaking about the coming of the Holy Ghost, to be born of the Holy Ghost and to be born of the water for us. He's not speaking about himself. He's saying that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Who is he speaking about? Human beings. Who is born of flesh? We. Jesus is not born of flesh. He's born of the word of God. Okay. He's born of the spirit. He's, he's not speaking about his body here. That's why I'm saying we have to look at the scripture carefully. Otherwise, we will be saying things which are not in the Bible. Jesus is saying that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's nothing to do with his himself. Jesus is not born of the flesh. He's born okay. of the word of God. Where in the, the Bible does it say Jesus is born of the flesh? He's not. So we are applying something to Jesus which he's not speaking about himself and his flesh. If you want to speak about where Jesus is born of, he himself said it in John chapter 8, verse 23, 24. You are of this world. I am not of this world. He is not born of flesh. In fact, this is the revelation God gave us through Bishop Tekli. We were believing before Jesus was born of the flesh. A flesh which is existing before. He is not speaking about himself. His birth is not this birth. So this scripture cannot apply at all to Jesus. He said that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Yeah. When he's speaking about this, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What is he speaking about? He's speaking about receiving the Holy Ghost. That's why he told Nicodemus in the next scripture. What did he say there? Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blow it where it listen. Thou hearest a sound, cannot tell where it cometh. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone born of the Spirit. He's not speaking about himself. Jesus' birth is not like everyone. He is of the Word of God. It's true, the Holy Ghost came over the womb of Mary. But the Bible is clear, the Word was made flesh. He is the incorruptible seed. So, this scripture is not talking about the birth of Jesus. At all. He is telling Nicodemus came to him. He wants to know. He said, you are a man of God. Uh, God is with you. Jesus began to turn the attention to him. My friend, you need to be saved. You must be born again. Jesus is not speaking about himself. He speak, he's witnessing to Nicodemus about being born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the flesh? Jesus is not born of the flesh. He is born of the word of God. The word was made. So, 
if people are using, I'm not uh, accusing you, God forbid, but I've heard rumors, people using such scriptures. It, it's very sad for me because we can see this is not correct. We need to rightly divide the word of God. Jesus is not born of anybody's flesh. He's speaking about us. We are born of Adamic flesh. His birth is not like our birth. The first, the second man is the Lord from heaven. He's born of the word of God. He's not speaking about himself. Has nothing to do with the flesh of Jesus here. Please go ahead. God bless. I know you're asking for other people also, for other people to get the revelation. And it's good because this is how we can correct misunderstandings. Uh, otherwise, something will be preached. And because the people who are supposed to be the ones to teach, uh, if, if we, we are not there, confusion will come into the church. And, and uh, before long, we don't even recognize what we believe in anymore. So we have to make things clear. Jesus is speaking about a birth here. Which birth? Our birth. Jesus does not need to be born again of the, of the water and the spirit. He does not need to be saved. He is the Savior. Amen. He doesn't need anything from anybody. So, God bless you. Uh, with other questions? Brother Merawi too has got his hand up. God bless you. Yes, yes. Go ahead, Brother Mara. Jesus bless you. Amen, amen. Jesus bless you, Brother Paul, for all your patience and all the, the word of God. Um, I just want to add one verse um, to you, what you are saying. Um, Second Timothy chapter 3, and then I'll, I'll go to my question. Second uh, Timothy 3 verse 15, it says, And it, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make wise and salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All the Scripture is given by an inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So I just wanted to say thank God for that's the reason I read the scripture. Jesus bless you, Brother Pope. Um, also, I believe uh, the Spirit of God has already uh, read my mind and you try to say about it but you just uh, mentioned it but uh, i still um wanted to ask the question i believe you have answered it one way or the other um because you were saying about it and i believe it was the god already uh knew and he was answering it. so that was in um genesis chapter one <clears throat> genesis chapter one verse 20 6 and 27. This is the question um, that I believe you have said a lot about it somehow, but I wanted to you to make it clear and explain. So it says here, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cotton and over all all the earth over creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So my question is, um, if we are 
what is the image of God that we are created in his likeness? Uh, I hope you understand the question. Uh, I said, yes, what yes. is the, yeah, Jesus bless you, brother. Um, the answer, uh, thank you, brother uh, Merawi. If we turn to Romans chapter 7, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 5, and let us look at verse 14. Here is the answer of the image that God is speaking about. Because we know the image of God is not dust. Adam is made out of dust. This is not the image God is speaking about. The Hebrew word over there for image is demut or tesalem. It means shadow, shadow. But here Paul gives us the answer about who is the real image of God. It says in Romans 5 foot, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is the figure of him that was to come? See, Adam was the figure of the one who was to come. Adam is a figure, shadow. Who is the one who is to come? Who is the image of God? That image of God clearly is Jesus Christ. And we know that because again and again, the Bible repeats everywhere that Jesus is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine forth. You see? Who is the image of God? Jesus. We know that. Again and again, the Bible keeps repeating it. So, in fact, we have to know that the Bible uses a very distinct language when it speaks about Jesus. The Bible, uh, about his flesh and his origin, uh, Jesus, his flesh, look like our flesh. It's flesh, it has uh, bones, it has everything. But its origin is not of our origin. The Apostle Paul, in fact, uses Greek words to uh, make this so clear that it's, it's quite amazing when he speaks about how Jesus' flesh resembles our flesh. It's, it came in the likeness of sinful flesh. But it look at Romans 8.3. Romans 8.3 is very powerful. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of, see, likeness. Do you know the Greek word is saying homoyoma? It looks like. But James Strong said it is not of the same source. Imagine. Jesus' flesh looks like our flesh, but it's not of the same source. Homoyoma means looks like. But icon in Greek is image. Icon, according to James Strong, means taken from the same source. Jesus' flesh looks like our flesh, but it's not from the same source. It's icon with God. This is what Hebrews chapter 1, if we turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Imagine that. 
That means directly of the source of God. See, Jesus is not a second member beside God. He is of the same person. If God is one person, Jesus is. Of, so the image of God is the flesh of Jesus. It is this body. It is this person, Jesus. So when God said in Genesis 1.27, let us make man in our image. He's not speaking about Adam. Adam is a shadow, a figure of him who is to come. Figure of him who is to come. Today we know who is the image of God. It is Jesus. And all of us are supposed to be conformed to this image of Jesus. Romans 8.29 For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, not to the image of Adam, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is the firstborn. Not first created, firstborn. Who gave birth to this flesh? The word was made flesh. We will all be all are to be born to have that flesh. So we all <coughs> are born of this flesh, Jesus' flesh and his spirit. But Jesus is not born of anybody's flesh. He is born of the word. The word was made flesh. It's direct. No one is born like Jesus. He's the firstborn. Firstborn among many. No flesh before Jesus is like this flesh. This is a powerful revelation. The Bible, the Apostle Paul kept repeating this word, firstborn. Nobody was there before Jesus to be firstborn of his type of flesh. So I'm saying all of this because, Brother Mirau, it's relevant. It's relevant to this revelation of the image of God. Look at Colossians 1.15. Let me finish with Colossians 1.15. This is very clear, very powerful. It has both image and firstborn in the same verse. Colossians 1.15. Who is the image of the invisible God? That means image, remember, Greek word is icon, taken from the same source, same source as God. This is the only body which is taken from the same source as God. No other body is like this body. At the same time, because this flesh is the image of the invisible, see, invisible. That's why, Brother Johannes, we cannot say the flesh was eternal. It's saying the invisible God. God has always been invisible. There was no flesh before. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In order to see the invisible God who has always been invisible, you have to see him through his flesh. And this flesh is the firstborn of every creature. That means when we go to heaven, anyone who is born in heaven we know angels are not born, so it does not include seraphim, cherubim, they're created. But if there's anybody born in heaven, Jesus is the firstborn of every creature in heaven. He will be the father of every flesh that is born in heaven. This is what Paul is saying. The firstborn of every creature. Praise God. So it's very powerful, this revelation. He is the firstborn he is the image of God. There is no source that gave birth to this flesh except God himself, the word. 
in heaven, everybody who's born there will look to Jesus and say, this is my father. This is my father. He gave, I owe my flesh to him. But the angels are created. They did not get his flesh. But he is the firstborn. Anybody who is born in heaven, Jesus is the firstborn. Because this is a new flesh. God has done something new with this body. This is the real image of God. Not uh, Adam is a figure. Poor shadow. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Cannot. Adam's flesh cannot enter. No human flesh can enter. Nobody who inherited from Adam can enter. That's why we command them to be baptized in Jesus. I'm uh, sorry to be long, Brother Merawi. I'm saying this also because all this is being recorded. May God let all of this come out and be recorded and let it spread out there in Jesus' name. And who knows? Maybe some of the people in other parts of the world were experiencing some confusion about this revelation. God can help them. So we are doing this not only for ourselves. We don't know who will hear through the website. God bless you. Thank you. Jesus bless amen, you. Amen. Jesus bless you, amen, brother. brother. As well. Amen. God bless you, brother Paul. One day, uh, people will come starving, as in the day of Joseph. He was storing it, all the uh, grain. So yes, it has been stored for people to. Bye one day. God bless you, Brother Paul. Amen. Amen. Uh, Brother Victor, go ahead. Your turn. Go ahead, Brother Victor. Thank you, Brother Paul, for the all the work you are doing and the word of God you bring to feed us. May the Lord Jesus bless you. But I want I wonder this is how would you connect the the, the word as you speak the, about the word? the word of God and the voice of God, because Genesis chapter three, verse eight, Bible said, and Adam, every evening heard the voice of God working. Is it, is it possible, can we connect both of them? And how will you explain that also, please, if you understand my question? Yes, yes, thank you, Brother Victor. There is no difference between the word of God and the voice of God. In the same way, there is no difference between a human word and voice. It's both word. So in Genesis 3 verse 8, when it says God, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking. In Hebrew, the word is Daubar Yahweh. The same word is used everywhere in the Bible. The Daubar Yahweh came to Jeremiah. No difference. So the English may say voice sometimes and words sometimes, but it is the same Hebrew word. So the voice of God is Daubar Yahweh. And uh, some Jews call it Memra Yahweh. This is even the title of God. But it is the same thing. It is God's word. It is God's speech. God's utterance. They heard his voice walking and they knew God himself is walking because God was equated with his word. So it's like if I hear somebody's voice around me, even before I see them, I can suspect, oh, oh this is so-and-so is coming. So God is known by his voice. So I won't say more because <laughs> sorry, it's the same thing. The Hebrew word is the same. No different. Daubar Yahweh. 
and it's all over. For the Jews, even they they sometimes worship God and they call him the word of God and they worship him as Daubar Yahweh or Memra Yahweh. It's the same person. Uh, God bless. Thank you, Brother You are explaining it very beautiful when you said that if you hear somebody's voice, you can feel that this person is coming. So now I'm, I'm clear of it. Thank you very much. Jesus bless you. Jesus bless you again, Brother Paul and Brother Victor. Jesus bless you. Sorry, we have also kept you for a long time, but um, your patience always pays as well. And also, when there's a word of God and then questions need to be answered, it's good to answer them right then as well. Jesus bless you again. Um, thank you, all saints, for also holding up. And let's pray. Father Jesus, thank you for the word of God that you sent through your servant, Brother Paul, about one God to make it clear as well that Jesus is God and also his flesh died. Hallelujah. It's also good all the time to reflect from the Bible, not to add or not to take away from it, but to stick with it. And then also, if we have any questions that we have not understand, we can come forward like this and 